it's my privilege to welcome you to this uh, very wonderful conversation we're going to have in the coming uh, minutes between Chris Valentin of Bethel Church in Redding, California, and Mark Laberton, the president of Fuller. As you know, we, uh, we're in the midst of a series of webinars addressing the question of prophetic preaching. Uh, how do we become the kind of men and women who can hear the voice of God and discern what God wants to say to a particular group of people? And how do we bring that word uh, in ways that are life-giving and that point and usher in the coming of God's kingdom? Uh, so that's our theme. Uh, and it we anticipate a really um, fascinating uh, interaction in the next few minutes. As you have questions, as they emerge, we invite you to type them in the chat box and we will be sure to address them to Chris and to Mark. I want to welcome particularly Chris Valentin, uh, who is our presenter for the day. Uh, Chris is one of the founding pastors of Bethel Church in Redding, California. He is the uh, founder of their School of Supernatural Ministry. Uh, Chris has in the role and the vocation of being a prophet, uh, of gifted by God and called by God to bring God's word prophetically to individuals, to, na to communities, to churches, to nations. Uh, and I, he's been involved in Bethel for decades. Bethel is a church of about 6,000 uh, participants in Reading. It has several thousand students in a school of supernatural ministry who come from over 50 countries around the world. Uh, and Bethel has almost weekly conferences, seminars, uh, gatherings that bring people from around the world uh, for training. So it's a very dynamic place. Uh, I have greatly appreciated personally Chris's ministry over the last few years. And uh, it will be uh, Mark's opportunity to uh, lead in an interview with Chris as he reflects on his own vocation and our vocation as prophetic preachers. Um, it is a gift to have Mark as the president of Fuller and the one who really launched this whole Ogilvy Institute initiative in the first place. So let me begin with prayer and commit this time to our Lord. Uh, Holy Spirit, come and take the mystery of technology and conversations with people in isolation around the world and knit us together in Christ that our lives might abound to your glory. Come and lead our conversation that we might live at the intersection of heaven and earth. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, Chris, let me uh, again add my welcome to Tim's. It's really wonderful that you've made time for this conversation, and I know that the people that are part of it are going to benefit from what you're going to share. So thank you very, very much. Uh, I'd like to start with just some opening questions that would help people that may not be as well acquainted with you to get a bit acquainted with you and with what's happening at Bethel and uh, a little bit of the history so that we understand sort of the setting in which you're serving and also the framework maybe out of which you're trying to uh, to lead and convey what prophetic preaching means in, in that setting and, and beyond. So to just start by telling us a little bit about um, about Bethel Church. Describe it, if you would. Tell us where it is what and what it is that you've been experiencing as this outpouring of God's grace that's led to this extraordinary church in a, in a kind of unexpected location. Cool. I'll give you a little three-minute overview of who we are and what we're doing. So Bethel Church is a church, uh, was Assembly of God, 
up till about seven or eight years ago. Um, we've been Assembly of God for, uh, uh, for more than, I think, 50 years. Church started in, obviously, a little home years ago. Um, our senior leader, his name is Bill Johnson, and I've been, Kathy and I have been uh, with Bill Johnson for 35 years. And Bill pastored a little church in uh, Weaverville, California, which, you know, just you can tell by the sound, it's not exactly a thriving metropolis uh, town of 3,000, and he pastored there for 17 years. We became the closest of friends. We raised our children together. And uh, then um, Bill Bill got asked to come and pastor Bethel Church um, about, um, I guess, let's see, about 18 years ago. And uh, his he was on staff there as a young man, as a uh, college-aged young man, as his dad pastored during the Jesus movement in the, in the, in the uh, late 70s and 80s. And so, um, so we, so Bill came to to Bethel Church, and two years later, I came to start the Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry. Um, we started with 37 students uh, 16 years ago, and as you mentioned, we've grown to over 2,000 students. It's been very exciting. 57 countries represented this year. Um, the church is. Uh, let's see. The community is. A, uh, our town is 93,000 people. Uh, our church is anywhere between five and 7,000 people, depending on if the students are home or not. You know, summertime, uh, the students typically, a lot of them go home, and so our um, population reduces quite a bit, not just in our church, but in our community. So we're, we're, we have a, quite a few, seven services on Sunday because our building only holds about 1,300 people. And so it's very, been very exciting. And we train, I guess, you know, uh, we're we're kind of known for training people in the supernatural, but I would say that uh, obviously we we're you know we we uh, we train people in in uh, the Bible, of course, and we read through the Bible the first year, cover to cover in a year, and and uh, second year we read just the New Testament. So we're you know we 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 really care about character and you know purity, power, and presence of God. We had uh, some wild wild times. Uh, as you can imagine, we've seen God move powerfully. We see healings every single week. We see, uh, I, I don't, it, would, it would be a guess, but at least 100 healings a week, um, probably uh, 20 to 25 of them, 25% of them are verified. In other words, they went to the doctor, got a doctor's report. Um, and so we, we see lots lots of healing people fly up from all over the world come to Bethel, people who aren't even believers because um, they have terminal cancer or some terminal disease, and uh, our teams pray for them. Uh, we have prayer teams on Saturday, healing rooms on Saturday. Um, we, have six, we have 600 uh, volunteers working in the healing rooms, and we uh, pray for an average of about 450 people on a Saturday. So it's, um, it's been exciting. We, we, have, uh, we developed some curriculum. For supernatural schools, and we have 600 schools scattered all over the the world using our curriculum, and so that's that gives you a little background on, on who we are and what we're doing. We really we really believe heavily in yeah. obviously in community and covenant, and we we stayed together a long long time. Right. Well, one of the things that <clears throat> we hold deeply in common is this uh, conviction that God has spoken and still speaks to the people of God and to the and wants to speak to the world and. We're going to come to that about prophetic preaching, but you know, your church stands, as you've said, 
in part by its Assembly of God background, by its emphasis on the role and power of the Holy Spirit, you stand in the in a charismatic stream of the life of the church. And since that is one of the most important parts of how the church is growing around the world, it seems it's extremely important that as part of the Ogilvy Institute, that we have a, an opportunity to hear from somebody who's helping that part of the church grow and develop in its capacity to hear and respond to the, to the word of God. So say a little bit about what how you would define for yourselves what charismatic means and what its relationship is to preaching in particular. Well, um, obviously, probably the, our definitions wouldn't vary much as far as what we think charismatic means is that we're embracing the supernatural power of God in, in every expression of it. And, uh, um, you know, some some people would, uh, uh, would, would think that the charismatic has to do with the nine gifts of the Spirit. Uh, I'm saying some people in the sense that um, they would believe there's only nine gifts of the Spirit. It matters not to me what you believe in. I'm just trying to say by definition. Right. Um, and but but ultimately it means that we that we believe that God um, still does miracles, still you know does all the works of Jesus, and we believe that Jesus is perfect theology. And if you see it in the life of Jesus, then you should see it in the life of the body. We very much embrace scriptures like uh, um, Jesus said, "Greater works shall you do when I go to be with the Father." Um, so we really embrace scriptures like that. And right. signs we follow those who believe. Mark sixteen. I'm sure you're familiar with all these verses. So we, you know, we we take those things literally, and we really do believe that um, that that God wants all believers to walk in signs and wonders and miracles. Um, one other thing I'll I'll say is that we don't believe uh, in um, the concept of laymen. We don't believe that there are laymen in the body of Christ. We believe that everybody is a part of the royal priesthood. And that as soon as you receive Jesus, that you are you are a minister. You not you may not be very good at it, but you are a minister. And so we 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 believe that the that the division between laity and ministers is not is not scriptural. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about developing and training and equipping ministers, we're in no way talking about training people to stand behind the podium and preach a message every Sunday. Right, right. And so, we're, you know, we, when we, even in prophetic preaching, as we're talking right now, it's like, I understand what we mean, and I, I totally embrace it. I, I would expand that to me, you know, how do people hear from God? And the most important, uh, you know, what, the people who need to hear, you know, prophetic, uh, for, this, for lack of a better word, prophetic preaching, are probably never going to come to the four walls of our church, you know. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, we're we're very very much like how do how do the saints get uh, fresh words from God that are uh, inside the boundaries of, of mm -hmm. the Scripture, mm -hmm. and 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 share those with other people to give grace to the hearers. Mm -hmm. Right. So so let's break it down just a little bit more, so that because uh, I think that the distinctions are helpful. They're, this isn't meant to. Uh, corner you or corner me. Oh, it's no. really just to try to just explore how this works. So in the in the classic uh, sort of reform tradition, which has shaped a lot of of Fuller Seminary, you you'd go back to a text like many places where Calvin would talk about this, the fact that we hear the voice of God in word and spirit. Right, These, this inseparability of the Bible and the and the activity of the Spirit that together lands um, in our capacity to hear the voice of God. So if you were to take that paradigm and say, um, is that is that true in your understanding of preaching, that it's about word and spirit, or is it really 
is it, 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 would you define it in some different way or you wouldn't put the words together in the same way as they've often uh, been put together, for example, in the Reformed tradition? Well, um, let me let me let me see if I'm answering your question, and you can feel free to you know yeah. to, to to quiz me. You know, Jesus said, "Man can't by, live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God." He didn't say, "Man can't live by bread alone, but by every word that preceded." So, so it's not the preceding but proceeding word of God that actually feeds our souls. Now, um, now the question becomes, what is the proceeding word of God? And so. Um, for example, um, one example we use a lot is Abraham um, gets a, a, a word from the Lord that he's to take Isaac to the top of a mountain and sacrifice him. And as you know, that's probably a couple of day journey. By the time he gets to the top of the mountain, the proceeding word, sacrifice Isaac, is a pre it becomes a preceding word because there's a new word. And the new word is don't sacrifice Isaac. I have provided a sacrifice. Of course, if Abraham's not current with God, Isaac would be dead. So, I, you know, I think that um, it's important that we make a distinction between what God said. What God said tells us how God thinks. What God's saying tells us what God thinks. Now, what's important about what God said is, is it, it lays a foundation for what God's saying. In other words, um, the, the, in other words, if, um, if you were to say to me, well, I heard Bill talk about pornography, Bill Johnson, I would say, no, my 38 years, my 35 years of history with Bill, what, what Bill said tells me that Bill would not say that. Mm -hmm. He wouldn't say that. So, so I, I, um, the, so those, so the word of God creates a foundation in which uh -huh. all, everything else is judged. Uh -huh. And if, you know, and as you know, that we have anti-biblical, extra-biblical, and biblical, right? So we have things that, you know, you can take right from the Bible and you can say, well, Jesus said this. Right. And then you can say, you know, Jesus said, hate your neighbor. Like, oh, wait a second, that's anti-biblical. Mm -hmm. The challenge we have is in the area of what, we, what you and I both probably agree to is extra-biblical. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's not in the Bible, but it's along the... It, it embraces the heart of God, the will of God, and the core values that the Bible teaches us, right? Mm -hmm. And those are, those are the, you know, those, the, the prophetic ministry should stay inside those two boundaries, the, the uh, inside the, the Word of God and inside the, uh, you know, it shouldn't be, ever be anti-biblical, extra-biblical with the core values of the kingdom. Yeah, so uh, I appreciate those distinctions. That's very helpful. So pushing it uh, a little farther, I've, I've spent time enough in uh, South America to run into strong veins of Pentecostal apostolic movements, which have, have basically suggested that now the, the current apostles have replaced the Scripture as the authority, and really the Bible becomes sort of secondary. And uh, I've been in churches where the pastor will say, I know it says this in the Bible, but I, as the new apostle of today, would say, and then they would go on and, and make claims. And what you're saying by your facial expression, as well as by, <laughs> what you, by what you just said, is you're not taking that posture, correct? Oh, no. I mean, that's a recipe for a cult. Yes, thank you. I mean, absolutely not. I mean, the Word of God is the inherent Word of God. We believe that the Word of God develops the core foundations for everything that we teach, preach, and, and we're talking about prophecy and prophetic right. teaching. 
and prophetic um, preaching. No, no, no. There, no, nothing. You know, as you know, Paul said, if an angel should even bring you a different gospel, he's yes. cursed. Do not believe it. Yes, absolutely right. not. Right. We would, we would yeah. never agree yeah. with that. Yeah, I didn't think so. I'm just simply sort of taking out the staking out the territory of of the wide variations that exist when people start talking about prophetic words, the word of God, hearing from God, the spirit of God. It's a it's a big terrain, as we know. Yeah. So so then then let's zero in. On, so a person that let's say goes through your school and they um, or you yourself. Let's let's focus on your experience first. So your experience is in part as a prophetic preacher. D- define what that means why why prophetic preacher is supposed to just preacher what is it that makes something prophetic what does a person do that makes it prophetic uh how would you respond to that well um i think there's lots of dimensions to the prophetic so um some of them would be we would say the word of the lord for the moment would make it prophetic like what is god currently saying the way we originally started teaching people prophetic ministry i think will give you some insight you know, when I, I was a youth pastor for nine years, and I would say to my young people who come from, you know, many different backgrounds, you know, as far as uh, spiritually from, you know, coming from an atheist home to very conservative, anti-charismatic home, and I would say things like, if Jesus was to walk in the room right now, what would he say? Mm-hmm. Like, what would he currently say? And someone would say, well, I'd, I think he'd say, I love you. Others would say, I think he would say to Mary... You know, one of my one of our youth group people. Yes, Mary, I really believe that. Da, 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 da. And I'm like, okay, well, that's that's actually prophetic ministry. And, and so, you know, some some people would some people tell me, I don't I don't believe that Jesus speaks. You know, besides His Word, I don't believe that Jesus speaks today. I said, well, do you believe in prayer? Well, of course I believe in prayer. What kind of Christian would I be if I didn't believe in prayer? Well, when you pray, do you do you ever do you ever is, is is any of your prayer time listening to what God says to you? Oh, yeah, of course. I say, okay, well, it, when God shares something with you, do you ever share it with somebody that, wh- what he said to you? Well, well, yeah, I do that. Well, really, you, know, you have different language for it. It's semantics, but as far as I'm concerned, whenever God speaks to you and through you, he's, that's prophetic. That's prophetic ministry. Right. So it's when the Word of God gets sort of sealed in a, in a person's own heart or mind in relationship to that moment or the person or the circumstance that they may be in, right? It's, that, it's where those two things come together. Is that right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And the reason... So, go sorry, ahead. go ahead. No, go ahead. I, I was just going to say, you know, I, I ask our students all the time, you know, like, 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 I'll, I'll explain my, what I'm about to say because it's going to sound a little shocking. Not all the answers for life are in the Bible, mm-hmm. but all the answers for life are in the author. So the goal of the book of the Bible is to get it for us to get to know the author. For example, does God care where I work? Well, I would say if he cares about the birds of the air, then he cares about where I go to work. Can I find a verse for where I should go to work? Mm, not likely, not likely. Do I believe that God would speak to me about where I should go to work? So, I mean, this is this is just the basics of, in my mind, it's the basics of having a relationship. Mm-hmm. Jesus is the Word of God, so, I mean, how can he not speak? He's the Word of God. So how, right. how would Jesus not speak to us? Right. So right. I understand it gets more complex as we 
you get deeper into the, you know, the charismatic, uh, you know, um, and, and all the, the nuances of, you know, I, I mean, I've been through all the debates and, and all of that. So I, I understand the deep seated struggles that people have with not just with the prophetic ministry, but the charismatic and Pentecostal movement. Right. But the basics of it is, do I have a relationship with Jesus? Do I actually, do I actually have a relationship with the author of the book? Right. Because right. the truth is, you know, people say, well, you know, if you base your relationship with God on an experience, you could be deceived. Well, you and I both know that. I mean, we've, we've been around long enough to see people totally run off into cults and do all kinds of crazy stuff in the name of God, right? Right. On the other hand, if you read the book and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you're already deceived. Because mm -hmm. the goal of the book is to have a relationship with the author. Not, right. It's not Father, Son, and Holy Bible. Right, right. So I, I think that, I think we're really talking about just, you know, how do I hear Jesus? How do I have a relationship with Jesus where I, I anticipate and expect for him to speak to me about it, about anything that I have going on in my life. Mm -hmm. So it begins there. Right. Yeah. So so if we were to be with you when you're um, preparing or and or even delivering a sermon to your congregation and you've you've done whatever it is that you do to prepare, uh, but you've also done you're also in that moment open to how the spirit may, in the words that you're using earlier, proceed with an, uh, a new word. Just describe that. What what happens in your preparation that you would call, um, you know, a spiritual discernment process or whatever it might be that, that is about how you're actually discerning God's word that he may be speaking to you for your people that happens in advance? And then how does that, how is that similar or different from what may actually unfold as you're literally preaching? Okay, well, let me, let me back up and tell you one of our core values. Okay. We, we don't personally ever study to preach. We only study to learn. Mm -hmm. And so and, um, Bill, Pastor Bill used to have a little uh, five-by-seven card on his desk that said, whatever feeds me feeds them. And so we believe that you, you, can, you, you, should, you, should, you should only articulate what you've assimilated. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, you can teach people what you know, Right. You can only impart who you are. Yeah. And so, so, so I, I don't, I don't read the Bible to get a word. Mm -hmm. It's unlike, you know, I'm not saying it's wrong or right. I'm telling you what. I'm right. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, like, I don't, like, I don't read the Bible and think, okay, let's see what, what would be good for these people to hear. Mm -hmm. I read the Bible and say, what would be good for me to hear? Holy Spirit, teach me. Mm -hmm. And you know, I, I read every day and have for, I don't know, 30 years. And, um, and I, I open the book just like anyone else, and I say, Holy Spirit, teach me. Right. And, and my core value is whatever, whatever feeds me will feed them. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and I keep a journal, um, per, you know, just pretty simple journal like anyone else. And I, and, you know, and, and I, I kind of describe it like this in my, in my what we might call Bible study. Is you know as I'm reading, oftentimes I'm sure you've had this experience. You know, a, a passage of the Bible will stand up like a soldier on a battlefield and say, you know, hey, right here, there's something yeah. in here for you. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's the glory of God to hide a matter, and it's the glory of kings to search it out. Mm -hmm. And and I I might go, you know, 
anywhere from days to months, reading that passage over and over, praying through it, and thinking through, why is that passage, like, there's nothing, there's nothing at all about that passage that seems meaningful to me. You know, it might be even an odd, you know, an odd verse, like, I, I don't know what that means, but it, but every time I read it, it's like, it's almost like a song that runs through your head you can't get rid of, you know? Uh-huh, right. And that, for me, now, this is just the way I, this is the way my relationship with Jesus works. I don't want to put this on anybody else. But when that when that happens to me, I, I think the Lord's in this. And I and I will just pray over that. And I I call it wrestling with God. You know, I will wrestle with God over that passage. And um and ultimately, almost always, um something will come come about uh, in that passage over a period of days, weeks, months. That will, you know, touch me and ultimately touch the people. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, um, you know, Bill doesn't use notes at all. Uh, if you if you turn to Bill twenty minutes before he's ready to preach and say, "What are you going to share on?" Uh, I'd say seventy five percent of the time he'd say, "I don't, I don't really know." Um, I, I, I bring notes with me. I, I take those my my weeks journal or two or three or four weeks. Typically, I'm on some sort of a journey. And I uh, and I think I put it in some organized fashion so that people can connect with, you know, where I'm, where I've been, where I am, and where I'm going. So it, you know, the message has continuity, like there is a point to it. Right. And, um, and then, uh, oftentimes, uh, right before I get up to speak, within 20 minutes, they'll be um, typically on the same subject. There'll be a bunch of stuff that just um, I call it downward, like. There'll just be maybe an example or another verse will come to my mind and I'll, you know, get in and, and add those to my notes. And, and then while I'm preaching, oftentimes, um, I, I just, I'm sure, everybody, I don't know exactly how to, the, the only thing I can say is that I'll be preaching and I'll be sharing stuff I never heard before. Mm-hmm. I've never thought of before. And frankly, um, this is where it gets a little bit uh uh, this is where it's a little bit unique and a little scary. So let me just explain to you. I think that everything we preach should be judged, mm-hmm. whether it's prophetic ministry or whether it's preaching, whether it's teaching. Mm-hmm. So I think that I have been inspired at times, and I'm sharing, and it's really awesome because I'm sharing stuff I've never heard before. I never, like, and, and I'm literally thinking, just between you and me, I hope this is all true because... I've never heard this before. Right. And, um, and, and, you know, over a period of, you know, 20 years, I've had some of that stuff not be accurate, and I have to come back and correct it. Yes. Our, our congregation is very open to that. Now, if, I, if, if you make a mistake, you come back, you know, next week, and you say, hey, I shared this. This was all good. But this part right here, that was, that was not the Lord, and here are the reasons why it isn't. Right, right. So, um, so it's a little bit of a, we call it research and development. You know, we call it, we have, you know, right. in manufacturing, you have the manufacturing department that if you want zero defects and then you have the research and development where you're, right. where you're, you're developing new products. So, you know, our preaching is very, it's not spontaneous as people would think, but it is, uh, even Bill where he's walking to the podium and, you know, has to decide what he's going to preach on. It isn't because he doesn't have anything. It's because he, he has to narrow it down to 40 minutes, what's been happening in his life, and he has to take a piece of that and decide right. what piece of that really 
fits this day. Does that right. make sense? Right. Oh, yeah. Totally makes sense. Is that helpful at all? Yeah. Yeah, it's very helpful. I think that one of the things that's <clears throat> so fascinating about that, and, and I think is my experience, too, is that, that God has a very imminent uh, sense of presence and activity. I feel very much when I'm preaching that God is is still actively at work in that very moment. And there's things that almost always happen for me when I'm preaching that are not at all preconceived and they're not incidental to the sermon. It's not some small thing. It sometimes is something very big and it's not something that I necessarily uh, had pre-hatched. Now, not everybody feels comfortable with that. And some people, uh, you know, certainly in part of the tradition and a lot of the background of a, of a seminary like Fuller's has been, to teach a much more methodical preparation, a belief that the Holy Spirit does not have to speak imminently in order to have spoken. So what God speaks in preparation is every bit as authentic and authoritative as a word that may unfold in the context of preaching. It's not as though the Holy Spirit has to be always the last minute God, if you want to put it that way. The Holy Spirit can also speak in advance, right? It's not like there's something more sacred about it happening in the minute that it's happening, as opposed to in the study before you got to the point of speaking, right? Uh, you, know, you know, I'd just like to speak into that because this is where, this is, in, in our culture, we would err on the side of the spontaneous, right? Right. We would, we would, we would spiritualize the spontaneous. And I'm like, listen, Jesus, he was crucified before the foundation of the world, <laughs> right? Revelation 13. Mm -hmm. So if God crucified the Christ before Adam ever sinned, then he knows what you were supposed to preach a year ago. So the fact that you didn't get it before you walked to the podium means one of two things. Either that's the way God deals with you, or you are a very lazy preacher. Right, right. Because I, you know, I think the, I, or, you know, or a, a worship leader, like I don't write, I don't, you know, I don't do my song set till I get up there because I want to be spontaneous. I'm like, I'm sorry, but the Holy Spirit knew what songs you should do. Yeah. Like, you know, before the foundation of the world. So, <laughs> right. the fact that you didn't get them till you walked right. up there probably has a lot to do with one, either you don't believe that you can, so you don't, like you were trained in some culture that says spontaneous is spiritual and planning is not. Right. And right. therefore, I don't even try to access the Holy Spirit's plan for this, you know, whatever my message. Right. Right. Because I was taught that I'm not supposed to, which right. is, in my mind, ridiculous. Yes, right. So, you know, I don't think that, you know, I don't think that, I don't think that prophetic teaching means that you shouldn't be prepared. Right. I don't think right. it's an excuse to not be prepared. Right, right. So, um, so if I, if I keep pushing this a little further then, so you, you're in the middle, you've delivered a word, and, and as you said yourself, you may come back next week and say, actually, a piece of this I, I now want to correct. How do you help your congregation to do the work that, uh, that I think is about holding the preacher and the preaching word, the preached word accountable in an appropriate way, where the authority of the, of the word of Christ given in the scriptures by the witness of the Holy Spirit becomes the benchmark of whether or not what the preacher has just said is really God's word. In other words, how do you test that? As, as a person who's, who's preaching, how would you expect your congregation to then test and validate whether the word that you've given is really God's word to them? As opposed to no, it being, for example, your word. question. First Thessalonians chapter 5, with reference to prophecy, even says, um, do not despise prophetic utterances. Examine everything carefully and hold fast to what is good, right? Right. 
And then 1 Corinthians 14, you know, 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 are where we get a lot of our, um, what we understand about, about the gifts of the Spirit. Mm -hmm. and, it's, and he's really talking about the gift of prophecy. But when he talks about judging Scripture, he's like, he says, let two or three prophets speak. Right. And let the others pass judgment. What I'm what I'm what I'm doing here is agreeing with what you're saying. It's like yes. I don't even care. Paul's saying, listen, I'm talking about the gift of prophecy, but let me just let me just up the ante. Even if you are a prophet, you need there needs to be judgment of your prophetic words. Right, right. And so we're talking about prophetic preaching. It's like the first. I, I think the first point is is that our people need to understand that they have as much responsibility to judge. Uh, our prophecies, our prophetic, our preaching—not even prophetic preaching. Let's just say, let's just say, let's just say our teaching. Right. And they have responsibility. They have the same Holy Spirit in them as we have mm -hmm. in us. Right. And there has to be a yes in them. There yeah. has to be a yes in them. And I, I think that a, a few of the things would be obvious. Like you know, is it anti-biblical? Well, that's mm -hmm. simple, right? That's easy stuff. You know, somebody said, you know. Jesus told me that we're to kill all the infantiles. We're like, ah, uh, no, sorry, that's anti-biblical. Right. Know, simple, you know. Jesus told me we're to all drink Kool-Aid and die. Uh, I'm really sorry. I don't know. You must not be reading your Bible because you would have remembered that. Right. Um, the, you know, the, the challenge comes when, when things are extra-biblical. In other words, they're, they're, not, they're not in the Bible, or they're in the Bible, but the context in which somebody is sharing them is not the context in which the author meant them, mm -hmm. which I think that we probably both have a place for. That's okay if we both know we're doing it, mm -hmm. and we both have had permission from the Holy Spirit to do that. Mm -hmm. do, you, do you understand what I'm mm -hmm. saying? Yeah. In other words, the author is, is let's say he's talking about whatever, from, from uh, women speaking in the church to, you know, uh, uh, people judging one another, and you're 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 using the verse in a way that the author didn't intend it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But you're aware that you're doing that, like, and the congregation is aware that you're doing that. So you're saying, I understand that Paul was, you know, this is the context in which Paul was using this verse. And right. so I want you to understand that I know that I'm using it in a different context. Right. But I still believe it's applicable for this situation. That I'm right. You. But, you know, I, I, I think that sometimes, uh, would you agree that some of the most dangerous prophetic stuff is actually when people use the scripture in a way that it's a perverse, it's the wrong version. Like it's the wrong application of the verse. Mm -hmm. And yet because I use the verse, people will swallow it you know, a hook, sinker, and, you know, lure. You know what I'm right, saying? Right, right, When um, and, and then when when I'm not using a verse, and I'm saying, I feel like the Lord said, there tends to be, you know, we tend to gather around that and go, okay, we need to really know if that's the Lord because he didn't use the Bible verse there. Mm -hmm. you know? Right, right. When, in fact, Satan used, in you know, in Mark 4 and Luke 4, as you know, Satan used, you know, Psalms 91, Mm -hmm. uh, verses 11 and 12 against Jesus, which were actually written about Jesus. Right. I guess I'm saying a word out of season, a word out of context is not necessarily true, is it? Right, right. And so, so the, as you nurture your congregation over time, you're hoping that what's developing in part is this 
capacity to learn to hear the word of God, to test it by the scriptures, to test it by the witness of the Holy Spirit, to test it by the authority of the community, right? Is that, exactly. is that right? Um, so, I mean, you know, one of the places where a lot of so-called prophetic preaching across traditions, not just in a Pentecostal tradition, but just sort of in any in any given context or in history, as you were, had said toward the beginning, you know, all kinds of things happen in the name of prophetic preaching, where people just claim an authority to assert a value or, or a virtue or an action or a whatever it may be, which may or may not have anything to do with the word of God. And the question is, in part, is how, to, how do you nurture the capacity of a community of faith, as well as individuals within that community of faith, to be able to be active, wise discerners of what that word actually is, right? So that it's truly tested. And I, I'm assuming that in your school for supernatural ministry, you have ways of, of nurturing that kind of testing process of what is, what makes something an authentic witness or word from God as opposed to something that's not. Is that right? Not sure. And so, so just give us a little bit more of a sketch of how, you, let's imagine... Um, it's you, or let's imagine it's someone else that's preaching, and uh, and they're saying something that you think needs to be tested, particularly for some reason. What kind of filter grid process would you go through to try to evaluate whether you believe it really was the Word of God, especially if it's extra-biblical? So anti-biblical I get if it's biblical, but what if it's extra-biblical in the way you're describing it? Okay, so let's let's go back to 1 Corinthians 14 for just a second and just... And yeah. I think we'll, we'll we'll launch from that. Good. So so Paul says, let two or three prophets speak, and let the others pass judgment. Okay. Well, we know that prophecy is always about the future, right? Mm -hmm. Because a word of knowledge is information I got by the Spirit that's currently true. Mm -hmm. The prophecy is foretelling. I'm telling you the future, and foretelling. I'm causing the future. Mm -hmm. For example, Ezekiel's bones. Mm -hmm. So. You know, when God said to Ezekiel, prophesy to these bones, he wasn't just telling the future, he was causing the future, right? Right. So, so okay, so when I'm judging prophecy, specifically prophecy and prophetic teaching, I'm always judging something that has not yet happened. Mm -hmm. So if I'm judging words of knowledge, that's really simple, because I could say, well, the Lord told me your name is John. You're like, no, my name is not John, sorry. Well, okay, that's really simple. But if I'm saying, the Lord told me you're supposed to go to Africa. Okay, well, how am I supposed to know if that's the Lord? Because it's not, it's not in the Bible. It's not anti-biblical. It's definitely extra-biblical. It's actually, you know, based on, it could be based on the core values of the Bible. So what am I judging? Well, the first thing I'm judging is origin. Yes. In other words, the most important, I think the most important gift right now in the body of Christ uh -huh is the gift of distinguishing of spirits. Yes. And distinguishing of spirits, as you know, is the gift. It's not the gift of distinguishing evil spirits. Right. It's called the gift of distinguishing of spirits. Right. Which means not only do, can I discern, you know, if there's an evil spirit affecting somebody, but I also can discern whether or not that's the human spirit or the Holy Spirit. Right. That is the origin of that prophetic word. Yeah. Is, are you with me? Mm -hmm. yes. So what I'm getting at is that because I'm judging something that's in the future, I can't say, right. well, that's not going to happen. Because and, and, and Oh, I know. In 1 Corinthians 14, the context dictates that the prophecies that are being judged are being judged immediately. Mm -hmm. In the Old Testament, as you'll, you'll note, as, as, for instance, in Deuteronomy 18, 
He says, if the prophet speaks and his word doesn't come to pass, you know it wasn't me. Mm-hmm. But, but, in, but in 1 Corinthians 14, I'm commanded to judge the prophecy as the prophecies are happening. Mm-hmm. Well, how do I do that when they're, they're about the future? Well, I'm judging origin. I'm saying, was this the Holy Spirit, knowing that God cannot lie? Mm-hmm. So, so and, and how do I do that? That's, it's, this is hard to write on a whiteboard. Right. This is this is you know this is more about art than science, isn't it? It's it's more it's more uh, it's more about teaching people how to to listen to that that Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit. Uh, I call it the, the Holy Spirit warning alarm. Mm-hmm. So if someone's sharing, and they may even be using scriptures, but they're sharing something, and and your and your spirit goes and. Eh. No, the the motivation behind this word doesn't feel Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. So and so there's the obvious, you know. Obviously, it has to be biblical. All the things that you and I would know, you know, we right. we, we share them a hundred times. But the actual most, you know, the the most important part of this of, of discerning whether or not a teaching or a prophetic word is actually has its origins in the Lord is actually this gift of discerning of spirits. It's actually, it's a little bit, it's, it's hard to articulate, but once you've experienced it, it's, it's easy, it's easy to, easy to repeat. So I could say, you know, you, you know, you can say, what is love? Well, if you've never been loved before, you know, I can read first Corinthians 13 goes, yeah, that seems a little analytical and not what, not what happened when I met Kathy, you know, my wife. <laughs> right. I don't know if I had those things, but I can tell, you know, so but when you talk to somebody who's been in love before and you go, Man, I'm in love with so and so. Go, I know what you mean. Right. So this distinguishing of spirits is something that you you can articulate on a whiteboard, and someone who hasn't experienced it yet can still go. Can you can you describe it to me more? And it's like, right. Right. You're gonna have to actually experience it before I can actually help to help you with the skill of using it. Is that right? Sense? Right. Well, I mean, I think what you're putting your finger on is is right at the core of one of the reasons why. You know, some parts of the church get extremely anxious about the priority of experience, and and therefore want to make it more stable, less vulnerable, less unpredictable, less nuanced. Right? So we yeah. say, no, no, no. Let's get out of the experience business. Let's get into the doctrine business, or let's get into the scripture business, as though it's about let's get it all really tacked down. So then they look at what you're describing and say, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. I'm sure that that's what he believes because that's so heavily experience oriented that it's tested by experience, etc. But on on the experience side of things, you go, but if you don't actually move into the realm of experience, then the impact of the truth that you're trying to proclaim seems frozen. It seems frozen in a text, it seems frozen in a time period, it seems frozen in something that isn't actually landing in real space. And surely the living God is a God who has spoken and still speaks. So of course it's going to involve experience and the Bible is replete with all sorts of experiences, right? But I think what you're getting at that's so helpful is a willingness to trust that that experience is not only essential, but it's actually, in your experience, testable, and that it's not it's not everything that you get to claim is Holy Spirit experience, but it is un, it is unapologetically experiential. Is that do you see what I'm getting yeah. at? Is, isn't that right? Isn't that part of what you're getting at? Yeah, and I think that it's a it's welcoming the community to, to into into. Um, into a culture that says just because you as our leader said it 
doesn't mean that we should sit back and receive it as the word of the Lord. Right. And I, I think that I think that that's really important. I think that's how cults start. Like, right. We put somebody on a pedestal and we go, okay, that guy doesn't make mistakes. That guy, right. You know, it's like, well, you know, first of all, I, none of us. You know what happens when we teach our people to use the distinguishing of spirits and judge words and judge teaching. Yeah. And I'm saying judge in a positive way, not like. Yes. We're not talking about having a critical spirit. Right. We're talking about we're, we're talking about having a wise spirit. Right? right. Yeah. So we're not talking about you know critiquing the speaker. Well, that was right. a six. That was a seven. <laughs> we're not talking about critiquing the speaker. Right. Or or coming with a with a you know a complaining spirit. You know. Right. But we are saying that you 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 have the mind of Christ just like we have the mind of Christ, and you have a responsibility to test what we're sharing. What happens when you speak, when you teach into that into that culture is there's lots of freedom for revelation because you know the people are judging what you're saying and they are taking it to heart and taking it to the Lord. Right. If I think that people think that I'm speaking as the oracles of God, I'm going to be like, it, that's not going to feel like a research and development kind of right. culture. It's going right. to feel like I better make sure, 100,000% sure that when I'm sharing is 100% accurate and needs to, you know, I don't know that anybody teaches on that level. Right. No, I'm not even talking about prophecy now. Right. I don't know that, Yeah. you know, have you ever regretted a teaching or not agree with your a teaching you've done in your life? Sure, absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, we all have. You yeah, know? And so, yeah. Um, so I think that there's, I think that creating a community uh, where there's a safety net uh, under our under our ministry, I'll just yeah. say ministry, right, is really wise. Right, really wise. Let me just uh, ask some questions that have been coming in while you've been talking. So one of them is this: uh, You've said you that you are first listening for God's word to you. How then do you know that what you receive is only for you, or if it is something that you're actually meant to share with others? How do you how do you know those know that distinction? Um. Well, that's really good. That's a great question. And I think that probably, to be honest, probably all prophetic preachers have crossed that line. And, you know, you, you tend to think what's good for me is good for them. And, and, and to be frank, that's not always true. Right. So sometimes, you know, I mean, it's really easy when the Lord says, you know, hey, this is, you know, uh, this is a secret. Right. And right. I have a friend who's a prophet, very a very old man, and he said, "People on earth are are judged by the things they share in heaven; they're judged by the secrets they keep." And so I, I think that that person has a very good point. There are times when God shares something with us that is just for us, and we and again it comes back to our relationship with God. Like, how do you put this on a whiteboard? Mm-hmm. Okay, share these things. Don't share these things. Mm-hmm. Um, some things are very obvious, you know, obviously the Lord's talking to me about my relationship with my wife and how I'm treating her. Well, obviously that's something that, that you know, that's not to be preached, mm-hmm. you know. Um, there's other things that um, are, are not so clear, you know, and, and I I do feel like, now this is going to sound a little, I, I hope I don't regret saying this later, but um, Hosea, 
his life was a word to the people. You know, he marries a prostitute and has children. And he names the children names. God gives them the names of the children. And and basically, and I know I'm, I'm doing this kind of like in a Chris unauthorized version of the Bible here, but, but, you know, God basically says to Hosea, when people look at your family, they'll know what I'm saying to them. Mm-hmm. And so, to be honest, there's a piece of that in me. Mm-hmm. But I feel like I am uh, a prophet to a certain group of people, not to the world, but to a certain group of people. And so... My my, what's what's actually happening in my life? Let's not use words right now. What's happening in my life is a message to our people, to mm-hmm. our people, not to the world, to our people, right. to my right. metron, right, the, to my sphere of influence, right. And I try to, uh, you know, oftentimes my messages are about how do I put words to, um, how does the, you know, how does, you know, the word became flesh and dwelled among us. So you know, John one. Right. How do I put words to this flesh? Right. How, and I'll tell you, the biggest frustration I have in preaching, and you may have the same, is I'm trying to share what's coming through an experience with God with words that have limitations. Right. Do, do you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Profound limitations. Right. And, and so, you know, I, I'm trying to share an experience through... You know, can you imagine, um, a great example is, can you imagine being, if you were, let's say, 100 years ago, if you would have just had some experience where God brought you in a room and you saw computers and television sets and, you know, technology, and you got to stay in there for half an hour, and then you came out, and there is no such where, you know, a hard drive is a rough road, and a, you know, a network is uh, something you fish with, you know? Right. And so you, you don't have those words. You right. don't have any of those words. Right. And you step out of that experience, and you're trying to tell your friends yeah. what you experienced for half an hour. Yes. Well, our experiences with God, I'm, I'm not saying all of them, so I'm not trying to act hyper-spiritual or anything. But at times, we're experiencing with uh, a God who lives in eternity. Right, right. We, we have a finite language to try to express a God who lives past, present, and future, and has been right. forever. Right. And, you know, I think the, the challenge we have at times is, how do I find words for what just happened? Absolutely, yeah. Or, or how do I find words for the concept that is exploding in my spirit? Right, right. How do I find words for that? Right, right. And how do I take this experience, I mean, the the... I think the greatest artists in the world paint with words. Mm-hmm. How do I paint with words an experience I'm having internally so that when I share it, it opens up a door so that you can have that same experience? Because that ultimately is, is, the, is the goal, right? Is that you would have the experience I experienced. Or that we would have the same, uh, we would have experience of the same God, even if we don't have the same experience. Yeah, that's even a better way to put it. Exactly. Um, let me just ask a, a couple of other questions that some people have raised. One is, um, how does prophetic preaching play a role outside the walls of Bethany Church? Um, or sorry, Bethel Church. In the, uh, in the community of Reading, for example, where do prophets preach outside of the gathering of Bethel services? What's the... How does this spill out beyond the walls of the church? 
Well, we would make a distinction between prophets and prophecy, and we don't we don't have a lot of prophets around, but but everybody we, we believe that everybody can walk in the gift of prophecy, and so um, it, all all of our people um, they they naturally prophesy as a part of uh, just who they are, and it's um, I should because when you use the word prophecy, it inspires all kinds of images again, right? Right. Words. Sure. Yeah. Pictures. Yeah, and so when I say prophecy, I uh, some of us who come from a Pentecostal background, it, it, you know, we envision a person standing up and saying, "Thus says the Lord," you know, right, in the mall or whatever. And we think prophecy is just God speaking through a person. So we we are we don't um, we don't encourage or allow our students. We don't allow our students, and we don't encourage our people to um, prophesy by saying, "The Lord said." Or thus saith the Lord. Um, it usually goes something like this: I feel like the Lord is saying, or I'm have. Um, if it's to an unbeliever who maybe wouldn't have a value for God, we would say something like, you know, um, I have this gift, and sometimes I see things in the in the future uh, about people, and I, and I I have this um, thing going on for you. Would, would it be all right if I shared with you um, what I, what I what I see, what I see, feel, hear, whatever, however it comes. And um, we, we, we keep we don't believe in um, ministry through intrusion or invasion. It's always through invitation. So if someone says, no, I don't, I'm not interested in that, I don't believe in that, we say, okay, well, thank you very much. Uh, 98% of the people are very curious, even if they don't believe in God, and they'll say, oh, well, yeah, please tell me what you, what you see. Right, right. And, um, you know, as you know, prophecy is for edification, exhortation, and comfort. So it's encouraging, exhorting, and comforting. They're all positive aspects of God. Uh, right. All God is positive. I'm saying it's the positive voice of God. So we don't allow correction, warnings, or anything like that, especially in a non-relational context. Mm -hmm. So then you know, we see somebody on the street, we don't, you know, they obviously have a, you know, uh, let's say you see that they have a problem with pornography. You, you see something negative. But you're not allowed to in our uh, in our culture to bring that up. Mm -hmm. You ask the Holy Spirit for the answer. You just solve the problem. What's the answer? Because right. the person that they have a problem with pornography, so they, they don't need you to tell them that. And um, and you share the and you share the the answer, and it's it's very powerful because a prophecy uh, gives people grace to um, change. Uh, this is how we. This is how we describe prophecy. Am I going on too long? No, please. Go ahead. Um, let's say your words are red. Let's just pretend it's just a metaphor. Your English, your your human words are red. But if if you have something that the Lord is saying through you, it, you don't sound like Orson Welles, or you know, nothing changes. Your voice doesn't need to have inflection. Right. If the Lord is speaking through you on the red, there's blue. Follow me. It's just a metaphor. There's blue. And blue is grace. And as we know, grace isn't just undeserved favor. Grace is the operational power of God. And grace gives you the ability to do what you couldn't do one second before if you heard the word. Mm -hmm. So uh, so if, if it's really a prophetic word, when I speak the word, they'll bleed blue on the red. Um, for, for example, one time um, there was a young man in the back of our church. I had preached that, uh, that Sunday there was a young man way at the back of the room. It's our sanctuary holds around a thousand people. And I asked him to stand up and he stood up very nervously. And I said, I see you as a holy man. And I gave him this 
prophetic, prophetic word. This is probably three to five minutes long about being a holy man like a Nazarite of old. And I gave him this whole thing about holiness. And um, anyway, he left. I didn't see him. I'd never seen him before. Uh, about about seven years later, which was about three, four years ago, he, this man comes up to me and says, you know who I am? I said, no. He said, you gave me a word on Sunday night. I said, I do that a lot. You know, sorry. He said, you called me a holy man. I said, oh, I, on a Sunday night. I said, I remember that you were sitting way at the back. He said, I was a heroin addict. Strung out on heroin, my friends brought me to the service. And this guy is probably 38 years old. He said, I've been a heroin addict since I was 13. I've been in and out of, of drug rehab since I was 13 years old. And they brought me to the service when I was five. When you said, I'm, you're a holy man, he said, something came in to me. This is, what, this is his words. He said, something came into me. I instantly got delivered from heroin. Mm. He, said, he said, I've been clean now for four years. He said, I have a job. And he introduced me to a woman. He goes, we just got married and we just bought a house. And he said, I, I want you to know you saved my life. Mm. Wow. And so what happened? He got a prophetic word, but a prophetic word is, isn't, just, isn't just about the future. It gives you power to right. actually have a future, right? Right. It gives right. you grace. Right. The ability to do what you couldn't do. Right. The operation of God's will and power in the world. Exactly. Wow. It's an amazing story. Thank you. Let me ask uh, another question. Shouldn't every preacher, I think you've answered this basically, but shouldn't every preacher be a prophetic preacher? Uh, do you make a distinction between prophetic preaching and other types of preaching? Well, we do actually. Uh, first of all, the question is, uh, the answer to that is, I, I think, yes, prophetic preaching. I do think that there are prophets who their main role is to give, give the body eyes to see and ears to hear and equip the body to, like, they're like the people who come hook up with your phone, you know? And, and, and then I, I do believe that there's a gift of teaching where, right. you know, teachers, they, you know, they inspire you. They give right. you tools right. to understand the word of God. You know? Right. Right. It, it's not, it's not like they, it's like, it's not like you need them to understand the Bible. It's right. like they right. give you a grace, if you will, right. to open up the Bible and, and inspire you. And so, right. I, I do believe that's different kinds of teaching. Yeah. I, believe, I do believe in different kinds of teaching. The evangelist, you know, he, he opens the Bible and, and sees the lost everywhere and inspires us and gives us grace to touch the lost and so on and so forth. Okay. So, so I, I do believe that there are different, uh, yeah. you know, some would say offices, graces, whatever. There are, there are we call them fivefold ministry. I, I'm not stuck on any term, but. I right. believe that there are different kinds of preaching depending on the responsibility in the, uh, in, yeah. in, in the body. Yeah. But, but I do believe that every single, whether you're a, a teacher, a pastor, uh, you know, an apostle, uh, uh, an evangelist, that everybody should be able to be current with God and have a current word with mm -hmm. a current word for the body. Mm -hmm. And if we, if we take the, the word prophecy and expand it to mean what is God currently saying for the body, then everyone should have that. Right. What happens uh, in that context when there's really a collision um, in when, pe when people disagree about what is God's word? How does that get sorted out in your tradition? Well, well um, um, first of all, I, I would say that um, 
that depends a, a lot on on the person, right? It depends a lot on who's right. bringing you the correction because right. there are people that are disagreeable and there's people who disagree. Yes. So, you know, if, if we're just being honest and because we're talking to a bunch of preachers, I think it's kind of important. Disagreeable people, I, I just put on a disagreeable shelf and to be, if, if I'm just being really frank, I, I, I probably don't think three seconds about what they just said because mm -hmm. they disagree with everything I say and mm -hmm. they feel like they're they feel like they're coming to a movie to critique it. I, I don't have any patience for that, mm -hmm. and, I, and I don't take that seriously. Mm -hmm. on, on the other side of the coin, everybody should be able to, um, any, anybody from a new believer to a leader should be able to come up and say, hey, I have a struggle with what you shared. Um, here's my struggle. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes it can be, uh, an overemphasis. Sometimes we as preachers, you, you know, we overemphasize something to make a point, mm -hmm. and we're not even thinking about, you know, the side effects of what we just shared. Right. Like, oh, John, I'm so sorry. I did not mean. I can see your point. Yes. Right. Point. Right. I'll clarify next in my next message that mm -hmm. I was not meaning that whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Because as you, as we all know, you know, um, preaching is like light shining through a prism, and it people will take it a hundred different ways. And you're like, this is the way I was thinking about it. Right. Right. And, uh, and the third thing is, um, this is, this is one of our mottos uh, we preach to inspire and not, uh, not to convince. Mm -hmm. So it's not my job to convince you mm -hmm. that I'm right. It's my job to inspire you to seek the Lord. Mm -hmm. um, as soon as I, as soon as I make it my job to convince you, I'm right. Mm -hmm. I think it's pretty easy to, to move over into manipulation Mm -hmm. And you know, and also get my self-esteem from whether or not you think I'm right. Right. I think that we. I think that we need to really trust that the body of Christ has the mind of Christ, and that they may not understand what I just shared. And I may be wrong, by the way. I, I may have shared something that was wrong, and I have to be willing to 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 adjust. Um, but more often than not, uh, people are just coming from a different place, and they're you know. They'll take that what you shared, and they're like, you know, I'm, I'm not sure I understand it, or mm -hmm. not sure, you know, I agree. Right. You know, if they don't agree, I'll say, why don't you agree? Why don't you agree? And they'll they'll share it. I would say honestly, I'm not trying to be arrogant, but 95 percent of the time, it's a misunderstanding, mm -hmm. or it's a misapplication, uh -huh. or they took they took the application. I was thinking it was going to be ABC application. And they applied it to X, Y, Z. And I'm like, oh, yeah, didn't didn't mean it that way. So sorry. Right, right. So, Which is but back I think to the mystery that, of words again. Exactly. So, but I, I think the idea that the body has permission to judge the word and a responsibility to judge the word means that it's kind of like playing basketball. If I go down the Y and play basketball and someone goes, that's a foul, you know, everyone argues whether it's a foul. But you know, if I'm if I'm if I'm playing in a in a game and the ref goes, that's a foul. I'm like, all right, it's a foul. So there's a there's a there's an honor for the system. When you come into our community, you know, your prophetic words, your preaching, and I'm not talking about just the leaders, I'm talking about everybody. You're coming into a culture where there's accountability. Mm -hmm. An account for your ability, not account for your disability. Mm -hmm. And account for your ability. So if you're using your ability, 
you can bet that you're going to be in a, we're definitely going to have coaches and reps. Right, right. If you're offended by the fact that somebody has permission to disagree with you, you're not going to want to stay with us. Right. Because we have a real culture of confrontation. I'm not talking about yelling or screaming. We have a real culture of, hey, tell us why you said that. What were you right. thinking? Right, right. So in that sense, a person who has a prophetic gift, and, and you're describing few prophets, but people who have prophecy, I understand that distinction. I think that's a very helpful distinction. One's a living thing. The other is sort of like an office that somebody occupies, right? Um, one's a gift and one's a calling. Yeah. So if it's a, if it's a gift uh, that may be uncommon and a calling that's quite common, then if, if somebody says something in the, in the authority of God's word, but is wrong. It doesn't negate their authority. It negates that, that on that particular occasion, they simply made an error. It's back to a more humble approach to this sort of word, as opposed to the, the foolproof, um, as you were saying, 100% or 120% perfect word. You're not making those claims about the experience of, of speaking prophetically, right? No, you're not. You're actually saying, you know, in the Old Testament, of course, if they got it wrong, they got stoned. But yeah, yes. let's put that in context because you know these these are the kind of emails and, and Facebook posts we get. You know, it's like in the Old Testament they got they had to be a hundred percent or they got stoned. Well, that's true. Let's what's the context? Well, if you were a rebellious child, you got stoned too. Yeah. And by the yeah. way, if you were a false teacher, you got stoned. Right. And if you were an adulteress, you got stoned. And pretty much you got killed for just about everything you did. <laughs> and and you know in those days. The Holy Spirit did not live inside of people, as we know. Mm-hmm. So there was no way to judge a prophetic word except for outcome, right? It right. was only outcome. You couldn't right. you couldn't test source because there was no discerning of spirits, distinguishing of spirits. Right, right, right. Which, which means that prophets had extreme amount of authority. Right. If I said, thus saith the Lord, you know, not only did would I get stoned if the word didn't come about, but you got stoned if you didn't obey the prophet. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this is when, I think when, you know, people write in all the time and, and, and they, they, you know, I've been involved in so many debates over the last, especially since 16 years since we have the school. People are like, well, you're teaching people that you can make a mistake. I'm like, I'm teaching people what the Bible says, that, you know, that we're not to despise prophetic utterances, but we're to examine them carefully and we're to hold fast to the parts that are good. Right, right. So, you know, we don't live in an old covenant where we're preaching to people that are spiritually dead. We're living in a new covenant where people have the Holy Spirit living within them. So they can make judgments in a community like ours of whether or not it's the Lord immediately because they know source. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They know their God. They know, you know, my sheep know my voice. And so when they hear it through, through Mark or they hear it through Chris or they hear it through Bill, they go, that's the voice of the Lord. Yeah. But just because Chris speaks doesn't mean he's speaking for for God. Right. Chris, we're going to need to bring this to a close, and I feel so appreciative of what you've shared. Is there any final uh, word that you would like to offer? Uh, I just, I just, um, I think the final word that I'd like to offer is for for all of us, all the guys that are listening, is we live, we are living in the very, the most exciting time in history. Mm. I mean, the greatest. Reformation, the greatest revival in the history of the world, we happen to be born right in the middle of it. And it's so exciting to see God moving so powerfully 
you know, uh, all over the world. I have the privilege of traveling all over the world, 12 or 13 countries a year. And, uh, and just God is just, I mean, he is touching every realm of society. Mm-hmm. I leave today for Washington, D.C. I'll be speaking to congressmen and senators and just giving them prophetic direction and insight. And it's just, it's just like, it's the most exciting time ever. And wow. so I just really want to encourage people like they're, yeah. You know, if you listen to the news, everything's going to hell. Right, right. But if you listen to heaven, you know, we're we're we've been praying that it would be on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. And so, Amen. you know, our our minist- our our destiny is heaven, but our ministry is bringing heaven to earth. Yeah. And that's the most exciting, the most exciting uh, responsibility in the whole world Amen. is to let people. We owe people an experience with God. Yeah. Let me pray. Oh God, we uh, thank you that you are God who has the capacity and desire and love to share your heart and mind with us for the sake of the world. And we pray that as we attune ourselves to your word and seek to listen well and faithfully and wisely, that you would help us to be people who speak it forth in ways that uh, demonstrate the reality of your love and mercy and justice in the world. Thank you so much for what you're doing at Bethany. Thank you for Chris, thank you for the leadership of this congregation, for the faithfulness that they are are expressing and embodying in the ministry there. And we pray, oh God, for all who have been on this call and might hear it in its recorded form to be encouraged and challenged to seek you for a living word and to, to depend on the authority of your scriptures to guide as we do so. Thank you that you want to speak. May we have ears to hear and hearing, may we be willing truly to trust and follow. Mm-hmm. For we ask it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Chris, thank you again so much. Thanks to Tim Dearborn for setting this up and for uh, a a great opportunity to have this conversation. God bless you. Safe travels. Thank you. God bless you guys. Let's do it again. Thanks a lot, Chris, for this great interaction. And thank you one and all. Uh, I think Chris has given us a clear and strong word. Chris, I'm grateful for your boldness, for your humility, for for the confidence that you express. I, I walk away with a couple of thoughts from what you've shared, many thoughts, but a couple stand out. One is the whole relational nature of prophetic preaching, what it is to be a part of a community. It's the community that discerns. And I think for those of us who have had a ministry of being itinerant mouths, where we don't, we're not incarnate in a community, there's a danger there. Uh, and because you don't have the chance, you're not the, re, the R&D arm then of the body of Christ. Um, you're giving a finished product, and you don't know if it's the right product, mm-hmm. and you don't have a chance to come back and give a correction or to be corrected uh, by the community. So your notion of the community is a community of discernment, um, and the prophetic pre- prophet, the prophetic preaching being a voice into that, but a voice from that community back to the preacher. Mm-hmm. That's a great word. And secondly, something that I'm living with from what you've said is that if it's the word of God, then it will come with the grace and the power to live it. Uh, if it's simply my own fancy or if it's simply an ideal or my own aspiration, uh, it may be a word actually that paralyzes people because it it won't come with the grace and power to live it out. And so this notion that the Spirit of God, if it's a word from the Spirit, it comes with the power to do it uh, and not just to hear it. I really appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, To those who have been listening, I encourage you to listen to the podcasts of Chris's sermons. Carrie and I listen to them uh, every time there's a new one online. Uh, go to ibethel.org uh, uh, and you can 
get the other ministries of Bethel Church or uh, just Google Chris's name and you'll get his website. Chris, thank you. Uh, thanks for your faithfulness. Mark, thank you for your leadership of this time. And to all of us, may God enable us to be ever more attentive to the, the voice of the Spirit. May we hear God speak to us God's words of love, God's words of grace, and God's words of power, that we might lead uh, the, the church into this intersection of heaven and earth, that indeed earth might be flooded with the presence of heaven. So thank you one and all, uh, and pray that the rest of your day is uh, rich with God's goodness. Thank you guys. Bye now.